much. I think we're all in sitting inside. Um, thank you again for thank you all the, for coming to our uh, uh, to uh, um, our event today. It's an event that I have actually uh, have I have. This is a topic that I have believe it's a very important topic, and I have my heart close to this, and I've been following the issue of financial literacy for a rather long time, so I'm very, very delighted that I, I have an opportunity to arrange the event today and, and, and have our very distinguished uh, uh, panelists joining us. Um, so, and we have made an effort to invite people from different walks of life, from the academic side where the research is done, but also from the practitioners, either from the policy people or from the finance, the, the, the private sector, where uh, the, the, the part of the, of the society that actually has to deal with these things. So uh, let me briefly introduce you to a panelist who reflect that scope of, uh, of relevance for the topic. Great, great uh, pleasure to, to have with us all the way from the US, actually. We managed to hijack her on a trip from the US to Paris to come and join us in, uh, uh, in, uh, in Brussels today, Anna Maria Luzardi, who is the director of GFLEC, it's an institute that is, uh, uh, she's heading, created in the University of George Washington, uh, on, on, on very much financial literacy research, uh, the, uh, the economic impact of financial literacy, and also what policies work in terms of promoting financial literacy. Um, and then next to uh, Anna Maria, we also have Lydia Pozo, who is the Director of Community Investment Programs in BBVA. It's a bank that has had a very impressive financial literacy program, and I'm delighted you could join us and give us your side of this, how you try to promote, how you care about the issue, uh, and, and why it is important to invest in it. And then from next door, <laughs> which is very, very important, but a, a very, what I always say, a country that has made huge advances, has taken the issue very, very much, uh, very warmly, and has made huge advances, Belgium. We are delighted to welcome uh, Jean-Paul Servet, who is the chairman of SMA, and who is going to tell us also why you think this is important, what policies to put in place to, to promote financial literacy. Again, thank you very much for, for joining us today, and we're going to start with uh, Anna, who will give us a 20-minute presentation on, on what financial literacy is, why it's important, and what we can do about it, and then we will come to the panelists for, for uh, uh, their views before we open up the, uh, the discussion. So, without further ado, Anna, the floor is yours. Thank you very much. I'm going to start by um, setting up the PowerPoint. I just need to press uh, the next. Uh, can you push with the PowerPoint on? Yeah. So I've uh, prepared a kind of a short presentation um, about financial literacy. And before I do so, let me actually tell you briefly what uh, GFLAC is. And we mean everything in the name. So we are global. We focus on financial literacy. Um, and we do mostly research. So what we have done in the past, we have collected a lot of data. We have analyzed that data in order to provide evidence uh, for the program and policy that can be more effective. You know, we strongly believe that uh, the most effective policy are those which are evidence-based. And that's why in my presentation today, I'm, I'm going to talk about a lot of the data that we have been uh, working with. But let me uh, start by saying why is financial literacy important now with respect to the past? And it's mostly because we see a lot of changes, not just in one market, but in different sectors of the economy. 
Think of the pension system, and almost everywhere we see now much more private account. We are shifting from defined benefit to defined contribution pension. And this is a seismic change with respect to the past because people are now in charge of deciding how much to save and how much to invest. They do so uh, confronting a lot more complex financial markets. And it's not just the complexity in investing, is also much more opportunity to borrow any large amount than respect to the past. We see big changes in the labor uh, market and also in education, where we see a rise in the cost of education and also other reasons to plan and save for the future. The reason why I list those reasons is to show you this is not just one sector of the economy. It's very broad. These changes are happening everywhere, and in a sense, we need to prepare for it. So what I'm going to do today, I'm going to try to answer three questions. How financial literate are people now that they are so much more in charge with respect to before to make important financial decisions? The second question is, but does financial literacy matter? In which way does it influence these financial decisions? And the third question is, which policy and program can affect financial literacy? This is, in a sense, what GFLAC has been doing for more than uh, several years now. So let me start with the first question, which is how financially literate are people around the world? When we set up to measure financial literacy, we had to ask and figure out what is it we ask people in order to know whether they are financially literate. Do you ask whether they know the Black-Scholl formula so they can price convertible bonds? and they are better able to invest, or what is it that you ask? Well, um, they only gave us three questions when we started this measurement journey. And so, you know, we had to come up with three questions to measure financial literacy. And so I'm going to give you this, what have become known as the big three. So these are the questions we asked to measure financial literacy. And as I'm showing in a moment, what, is, what we have gone for is a very basic concept, right? So the concept at the basis of the most fundamental financial decisions. So we ask whether people can do a very simple calculation in the context of interest rate. We ask about whether people know about inflation, and we ask about risk diversification. Why? Because financial decisions are mostly about the future. So you need to know about interest compounding, inflation, and risk diversification. I'm just going to read you the first question just to show you just how basic we are talking about. And that's why what financial literacy, I think, is about is really that basic knowledge. Um, so we ask if, suppose you have $100 in a saving account and the interest rate is 2%. After five years, how much do you think you have in this account if you left the money to grow? And I want to show you that you know, we don't ask people to do very complex calculation. We don't even ask if it is more than 110, right? We can only ask whether you can do a 2% calculation. And we also list a list of questions, including saying do not know or refuse to answer, so people are not forced to just choose an answer. And as you can see from the second and third question, these are relatively basic concepts that have to do with uh, financial decisions. Um, we have also been able to uh, engage as many as 15 countries around the world, so Treasury Department, central banks in the Netherlands, and in other cases, 
to add those questions at the national level. So we are able actually to now compare across as many as 15 countries. We have called this project Financial Literacy Around the World or FLAT World, which is the acronym. This is how we call this project. And we have been able to add this question even in the 2016 Survey of Consumer Finances, which is the data set that the US uses to do monetary policy. Um, so, um, you know, in the US in particular, we have been able to work with the regulator. This is uh, for you, Jean Paul, just because we work a lot with FINRA Investor Education Foundation. We have actually started to collect in 2009 data on financial capability, which included those three questions. And so we have a new survey that really looks at the capacity of people to make financial decisions and also at their level of financial knowledge. And these are actually some of the data set I'm going to use today to illustrate some of the issues about financial literacy. So let me start by telling you how financially literate are Americans. So let's start with the country with the most advanced financial market. In the first wave of the National Financial Capability Study, we actually saw that 65% can do a 2% calculation, and one in five actually get this question wrong. In terms of inflation, 64% know about inflation, and again, 20% get this question wrong. But the question where you really see the lowest amount of knowledge, but also the shift in the way people answer the questions is in the risk diversification, where now one third of respondents, so one third of Americans, even though they have probably made a lot of this decision, many uh, American family invest in the stock market. In fact, one third answer do not know to the question about risk diversification. If you thought the first two questions were particularly simple, well, let me tell you that half of the people know about the two questions, and only one third can answer these three questions correctly. Let me uh, turn to Europe, and I have chosen the Netherlands um, because we are closer to this and mostly uh, because of Maria. Uh, we use the Dutch Central Bank Household Survey the Dutch know a little bit more about this 2% calculation, um, and they are less likely to be incorrect. They know a little bit more about inflation, but in the risk diversification, they are very similar, where one-third actually says do not know. When we look at how many people know about these three very, very basic questions, less than half of the Dutch population know about these three basic concepts. Let's turn to Asia for a moment. Let's go to Japan. In a sense, similar story there, 71% know about interest rate and 2% calculation. The inflation is particularly important here because if you remember Japan experienced deflation more than inflation. In fact, 28% say do not know about inflation. But in the risk diversification, same pattern. A very high proportion of do not know. So what do we say is that the world is flat indeed when it comes to financial literacy. In all of the countries, basically only a minority have a basic financial knowledge. Uh, risk diversification is what is most difficult to grasp. Of course, it is a difficult concept, and there is a prevalence of do not know answer. Um, these results, by the way, are pretty robust, and I'm going to show you another survey, but we did recently a survey in Europe uh, with 10 European countries, mostly Western Europe, um, working with Allianz. And again, this was a question about risk literacy, and we saw over and over 
that people have a lot of difficulties in grasping the concept of risk. So let me just say, because I, I teach personal finance, that most countries, in fact, get an F when it comes to financial literacy. Um, one interesting thing I want to show you is, and here I've chosen the group of countries we have studied in many details. Across the countries, women know less than men when we look at these three questions. So this is the proportion of correct answer. And as you can see, women, respective, if you look at Canada, the US, the Netherlands, or Germany, just are less financially literate. Why? Are they more li likely to be incorrect? No. Women are disproportionately more likely to say, I do not know, to the financial literacy question, which I consider a beautiful result. Women do not know, and they do know they do not know. So they are probably the best people to do uh, financial decisions. Let me come back to this uh, later on. Um, in 2015, you might think, well, no, the world has changed from 2009. In the US, this was after the financial crisis. I want to show you this graph for two reasons. First of all, the level of financial literacy remains low, uh, even in the US, after a big financial crisis. And as you can see, financial literacy is low even among people close to retirement. You know, less than 50% of the population knows about these three concepts, even though they have made a lot of financial decisions, right? If you look at people up to the age of 40, when you have made almost all of the most important and consequential financial decision, the level of financial literacy is very, very low. Less than 30% of uh, young people in the US are financially literate. If you look at the people starting college, 18 to 24, 13% are financially literate. But if you look at the student loan market at $1.5 trillion, this is really looming very large um, in comparison to this very, very tiny level of financial literacy that people have when young. Uh, let me turn now to a global survey that we did in collaboration to the S&P, indeed uh, 500 rating, and done by Gallup, and we have been able to measure financial literacy in more than 140 countries. Now, as you can see, financial literacy is so general and so universal that you can ask the same question in as many as 143 countries. What we have done here, we have distilled this concept, of course, made it even easier, but it's the same fundamental concept. Numeracy, interest compounding, by the way, in the context of debt, inflation, and risk diversifications. You can ask this question all over the world. We define people to be financially literate in the same way in which we defined it earlier. If you know three out of these four basic, basic concepts, you are financially literate. Let me show you in a map how the world looks like when we look at financial literacy. With the darker area uh, are the countries where more than 55% of the population know three out of these four basic concepts. So, you know, just about more than half are financially literate. And as you can see, the world is not dark blue. It's light blue and other things to learn meaning, unfortunately, that um, the world in general is not financially literate. One in three adults only uh, around the world know about this basic concept. But let's actually go a little uh, closer. If you look at the G7 countries, uh, financial literacy is not high, even in the G7 countries. Of course, it's low in the BRICS, 
But in fact, some countries in the G7 look very similar to the BRICS, and I'm going to point to Italy. This is the percentage of people in Italy who know three out of four concepts. You know, Italy look more like Brazil at 35% than the G7 countries. And I'm very happy to say that Italy has taken step last year to actually uh, create a committee uh, to address financial literacy and financial knowledge. Which are the topics that people know the least? Now, I don't have to tell you. Of course, risk diversification is yet again the topic around the world, which is less known, and also the topic where there are the largest differences in financial literacy between the BRICS and the developed world. How about gender difference in financial literacy? They are in almost every country. In every country, women know less, but why? Because disproportionately in every country, women are more likely to say, I do not know. So it, no, it doesn't matter where you ask this question, whether it is Italy, Brazil, Ghana, or uh, Japan. In all the countries, women have that tendency to answer in that way. Does financial literacy matter? Why do we care about measuring what people know the ABC of finance? Because it matters, and it matters a lot. People who are more financially literate are more likely to be resilient to shock, are more likely uh, to deal better with debt, are more likely to manage and have long-term savings. People have not focused as much on the first two decisions, and I think we need to turn our attention not just on investment and saving, but on the liability side of the balance sheet as well, because actually people today are accumulating a lot of debt and carry debt very late in life. The other thing is we have focused a lot on the long term, but how about the short term? We just issued a paper uh, just two weeks ago. It is called Financial Fragility. We measure the capacity of people to come up with $2,000 in 30 days. Uh, several years after the financial crisis, 36% of Americans are still financially fragile. If asked that, they couldn't come up with $2,000 in 30 days. They wouldn't be able to face a shock. And financial literacy is a very important determinant of whether or not they are able to come up with that amount. Um, if uh, for those of you who think that financial literacy doesn't matter, uh, well, we just did a simulation um, taking a traditional life cycle model and added financial literacy to it. How do we add it? We actually assume that financial literacy affects only one decision. It affects the interest rate that you get on your saving. Why? Because if you have knowledge, you are more likely to invest in the stock market and earn the equity premium puzzle. That's the only way in which we assume financial literacy work. According to our calculation, as much as 30% of wealth close to retirement can be attributed to financial literacy. So it's not a sideshow. It really matters and is also affecting wealth inequality and wealth accumulation. That's why um, we need to think really hard uh, what are the program and policy that can affect financial literacy. And this is where, yet again, it, we are borrowing from data uh, and from research to really indicate what are the effective policy. Uh, I think what the data really says is that we need to improve the level of financial literacy. Level of financial literacy are just too low 
to be able to allow people to make good financial decisions. And they are just too low, even in uh, rich countries. You know, the fact that you are born in a uh, high GDP country doesn't make you financially literate. You know, financially literate literacy is not acquired by breathing the air. You really need to put it in the school for people to be financially literate. I really believe we are at a crisis level when it comes to financial literacy, and it's really urgent. That is uh, certainly the topic which is more complex is risk and risk diversification. We see it around the world. Um, and again, the data points to two important groups to target when it comes to financial education, the young and women. And it also says that one size doesn't fit all. Differences are too big to just have uh, you know, very simple policies, and that's why I think it's very important to have tailored programs, and I'm going to mention some um, uh, uh, later on. So given widespread financial illiteracy everywhere, we need large and scalable program. Single initiative are probably not going to be able to do much. And this is why, for example, financial literacy has not improved in the countries that have not taken a lot of action. As you know, many countries are now have a strategy, a national strategy for financial literacy, as many as 70 as of last year, have implemented national strategies. Without that, I don't think you can actually have and make significant progress. So we need a large program, and I think we need to start with the young. We need to have program for the adults as well, because they are also not literate, not financially literate, and the workplace can be an ideal place where to find the young and also the places where people go to work, and we're going to talk potentially about museum, if you like, later on. Um, how about financial literacy among the young? I want to make a couple of remarks about those, in the sense that we can, make, we can have this, initiati this initiative at the, of course, national level, but also at the local level. In which sense? I think it's very, very important that we start in the school and we add financial literacy in the school because we need to improve this basic financial knowledge. Everybody needs financial literacy today. Um, and also the young have an incredible asset, which is time. As, as we sleep, interest compounding work. This is actually what I tell my students, and we need to use that resource in their favor. That's why it's so important to concentrate in the young. And you know, we have a lot of the financial industry, the financial industry talks a lot to the Department of Labor, but I think we need to talk to the Department of Education. You know, your future client for the financial industry really need to be financially literate to be able to buy sophisticated products. Uh, we don't need necessarily initiative at the national level. Even if we all start at the local level, if you all ask for financial literacy in the school, I think we can make progress. As I arrive at GW, we actually have set up a personal finance course for the student. In the same way, we teach corporate finance to manage money for the firm. We can use those concepts to manage your money. As I tell my student, when I, they come to this course, they say, what is this about? It's about being your own CFO, but mostly it's a happiness project because financial literacy is actually to make you have good outcomes. So it's actually a very rigorous course. It covers, of course, risk and risk diversification. 
and a lot of personal finance topic. And by the way, we have some very special students. These are those in here. I actually also teach personal finance to the football player. They are my big students. Um, we also, very important to do program for the women. There is a gender gap uh, in all of the countries. And of course, there are unique challenges of women. And this is why I think they, we need tailored program for them and not a one size fits all. Um, let me also mention a very simple project we have done in the workplace, again, using our research. So we have actually done very, very simple three minutes video targeted to those millennial, those pesky millennials um, that, you know, don't read, don't, uh, you know, don't um, follow, don't, don't watch the news. You know, they only watch videos. And so we gave this uh, little a concept, this simple concept in a videos and in a story as well. And we made it, you know, kind of very simple using all of the suggestions from our research where they don't want to have jargon, they don't want to read, they kind of want to listen, they want a visual, and they want it available at any time, in particular at night when they don't sleep. So, you know, we have done these very simple videos and we actually done an experiment with that. So we have a control group and a, a, a treatment group. And what we have found is not only that financial knowledge increase even after watching a very simple three video, but this video affected all age group and this knowledge persisted even eight months after doing this initiative. And this is just to tell you that with this very wide financially literate, even simple program can have big effect. Um, I want to tell you briefly about this new appointment in Italy. Um, after two financial crises, um, the Italian government appointed a financial education committee. And I actually was appointed director of that financial education committee. I've actually gotten several prizes for my research, but this is actually the biggest reward um, I have achieved so far. So I get to work on financial literacy in my own country. Uh, this committee has already written a financial literacy strategy and designed a national strategy for financial literacy last December. And we launched a month ago a portal for financial education, which is the first initiative directed to all Remember, the financial literacy level of Italy was at 37%. So we have a lot of initiative and a lot of challenges in front of us. Um, just to conclude, um, I love the word financial literacy because I think it expresses what we are talking about. Financial literacy today is what is equivalent to be able to read and write. If you are not able to read and write, or if you weren't able to read and write in the 19th century, you wouldn't be able to participate to society. And this is, I think, what we need today. We need to speak the language of finance to be able to participate to society. It is an essential skill for the 21st century. And everybody deals with finance, and finance is sufficiently complex that we shouldn't leave it to the individual to learn. In fact, left to themselves, I don't think we see evidence that they learn. Um, and it's very important to be financially literate as early as possible. So financial literacy is really today a stepping stone for financial security. Um, Maria earlier on has asked me in, um, in her office in this podcast, you know, what is a good definition of financial literacy? 
And the, um, the OECD, uh, I direct the group of uh, PISA, the PISA Financial Literacy Assessment, which actually has measured financial literacy among the young. So we have a long definition of financial literacy. But I have my favorite definition now, which I'm going to show, show you. It's a very, very simple one. What financial literacy is, is a vision for the future. And the important question that we have to ask ourselves is, which future do we want to build? Thank you very much. Thank you, Anna. That's great. Thank you so much for a very comprehensive um, presentation of the numbers, why it matters and what we need to do about it. So, and, and this is where I'd like to shift now to, to what can we do about it. And I'd be delighted to hear from our panelists and indeed other people from, from the floor on the experiences that uh, you have had with trying to implement financial literacy programs and to what, uh, to what uh, effect. So Jean-Paul, if I could turn directly to you, you can give us the experience from Belgium, uh, how you see the issue and what you, what you do as a, as a policy uh, maker. Okay, first of all, um, um, Thank you for inviting me uh, to, to give a presentation about the state of the art in Belgium. It's a pleasure for me to be here. I think that's the first time that I have the pleasure to give a conference so close to my own office, 200 meters far. <laughs> so it's also a premiere for me, I would say. And so it's a pleasure to welcome an American media in Brussels, the capital of Europe. I am a native from Brussels, so I think that's very important that we also have the possibility to discuss the important aspect not only at the national level, but also at the European and international level. So I have been asked to give you, um, I would say, in a nutshell, a helicopter view about um, the improvement we have been able, I think, from a more or less objective point of view, to, to make in Belgium. I have been asked to do that in 15 minutes. For some people who know me a little bit, it will be a real challenge. Huh? So, of course, it will be uh, uh, quite limited because I think that, uh, I would say, the objective uh, we try to achieve are very um, important. Um, I, if, okay, thanks. M maybe uh, one uh, comment about who we are, what we are doing, and why are we in charge for financial um, education. As you know, maybe I have the pleasure to be uh, the vice chair of IOSCO, the Worldwide Organization of uh, security supervisor. We are working in Belgium in a Twin Peaks model, like in the British model, like in the Dutch model, but in fact the British and the Dutch model were not the source of the switch to a Twin Peaks model. It was the Australian model who was more or less the, the starting point. So it means that we are working closely with our colleagues and friends from the Central Bank of Belgium, and there are some representatives of the Central Bank here. So it means that uh, we have also a very uh, precise mission statement. So there is no competition between us and the central bank, which is in fact the case in the Netherlands. Huh? They have a system with competition between the two, to, to some extent, I would say. It's not the case. There is no overlapping. There are clear uh, leaders. Central bank is in charge for prudential supervision, micro, macro resolution aspect. We are in charge. We have seven pillars, I would say. Uh, I would say, uh, generally speaking, uh, many aspects, but not all the aspects relating to consumer protection, market supervision, credit supervision, rule of conduct supervision, MIFID, brokers, pension. We are there acting as a single supervisor because the pension funds in Belgium are not systemic. And last but not least, last but not least, uh, financial education, which was something new. 
And I have to tell you that it was not the case at the time that we used to be a single regulator. And frankly speaking, I am quite proud to tell you that uh, I lobbied a lot at political level with my team in order to be in charge for a contribution, a contribution uh, to improving financial education of consumers. What does it mean? It means that we don't think that we are the only one supervisor to be on board. For instance, the central bank are managing their own uh, center about the history of model, their, their own mission statement. We also think that one of the key aspects in order to have a, a useful journey in order to improve financial education is a kind of partnership. We think that uh, as many as possible people have to be involved, public-private, people from uh, the academic side, like you and like other people, and we are working closely with a different university in Belgium. But what does it mean also to have a successful, I would say, strategy, a strong involvement of the team in charge for that? Uh, a strategy, but I would say a realistic strategy, especially when you start from scratch, which is, I think, the case for many, many countries, not only G7, G20, but also at, at worldwide level. And I fully agree with you that there are no main difference between the so-called big markets and government. So I'm still in, uh, very impressed by what they are uh, doing in Brazil, in Mexico, in many African countries. So they are making progress which are absolutely uh, impressive. So we have to think about it and we have to avoid that even with excellent PISA, Ranking is the case for the Flemish education system was involved in the exercise. Even you have the best ranked after China, some the Chinese uh, province. Even with such an excellent result, I would say for a part of Belgium was involved in the PISA exercise. I strongly believe in fact that we need to have an improvement, which is the case I think in Belgium, but of course I'm not objective. For this we need a strong involvement of the team. Strong public-private partnership, even it's not so easy to manage from a pure political point of view. And I will come back on this. And I step-by-step step approach, I would say. Some people, industrial, would say a baby-step uh, approach. So what does it mean in order to be uh, more precise? Ah, sorry, to, to be more precise. First of all, to have, um, I would say, a good consumer brand. We have to accept that even as financial supervisor, we are not so well known. Even in Belgium, I'm not sure that the teenagers discussing with my own, uh, uh, my, my own kids are able to understand what does it mean FSME, Financial Services Market Authority. But also at international level, we have to admit that I think that the majority of the teenagers, so the current costume, are not able to understand what it means, Mario Draghi, of even the FED or other supervisors. So for this, we need to find an appropriate consumer brand. And we decided to find uh, a new brand after the launch, the, the switch to the Twin Peaks. And when we, sorry, when we uh, start our new education system, we decide, based on a definition of needs of target groups, desk research, to focus on one new brand, Wikifin. Just in order to avoid that you are stressing, we checked the copyright. There was no problem with the copyright. What does it mean five years after that we start our education program with the label Wikifin, 15% of the citizens in Belgium have been told at least once in their lives something about Wikifin. 
so they are able to recognize. And even, which is absolutely unbelievable for me, as chair of the FSMA and as pro-chair of the FSMA, 7% of the cities in Belgium know what it means, FSME. I'm still quite surprised, I have to tell you. But okay, fine, the most important is the fact that 15%, after five years of experience, know what it means. It means that for this, they are able to understand that there is something in interesting information to receive for someone something called Wikifin. And what does it mean, Wikifins, for, I would say, people using Wikifin? It means neutral, professional, reliable, that's also, I think, an added value for being a supervisor. We are not a commercial uh, company, but we are in link with representatives, of course, we liaise uh, with very frequently with people representative for industry from the academic side. It doesn't mean that I don't appreciate initiatives from the private sector. I think that there are also excellent initiatives from the private sector, and therefore that we need private-public uh, uh, partnership. It means also that we try to be um, close to the real-world experience of people and that we have also the possibility to collect information. At the same time, I think that one mistake that we had to avoid to make, it was to think that financial education means explaining what we are, what we are doing. And I think that a negative feeling for many people would have been that we would like to speak about a complex financial product to explain, I'm sorry to tell you, Bernard, what does it mean, a usage of a life insurance? Of course, we are also explaining that, but uh, to explain the stock exchange. What we had to find, it's a communication channel in order to explain from a Socratic point of view, if I may say, which information do you need a different step of your life. Right? So I would say that the approach construct on the, the basis of a lifestyle. Which information do you need when you get married? Very important. Which imp information, I'm sorry to tell you that, do you need when you get divorced? One of the most painful experiences also about financial aspect with a divorce. Which information do you need when you go to school? At university, one of the most popular aspects of a website is how to manage your budget if you need to rent an apartment of a bedroom as students at university in Brussels or in Belgium. Incredibly successful. And so I think, which information do you need when you decide to retire? So I would say day-to-day -day experience and not linked with difficult aspects because if we would start to explain what does it mean and you said structure, product, stock exchange, and also financial products, it means a niche activities and maybe something which was not expected, but also, if I may be uh, frank with you, something much more difficult to explain from a political point of view. Because it means that we with good advice, would give some advice. Uh, do you need to um, invest in a stock exchange product? Do you need to invest in a usage, high life insurance, etc.? I think that that was something that we had to avoid. And that's the reason why we decided to construct a strategy, I would say, in, in fact, not four pillars, but three pillars. And if I want to translate that in another approach, it means short-term, I'm sorry, short-term, mid-term, and long-term. Because I think uh, that that was one of my late motives. Due to the fact that we had to start from scratch as one of the two supervisors specializing financial consumer uh, product supervision, 
we need to have what some consultants are used to call good or bad consultants are quick win. We need to find communication channel to be very rapidly available. In short term, means general public means to manage our own website. Stakeholders, that was the midterm. To be present, to try to organize, I would say, a partnership between different public and private partners, to be there for some events every year, not only, for instance, in the framework of firms, of clubs, of investors, but most of the time, to be there where people don't expect that we would be there. And that's, I think, one of the successful aspects of the so-called money week. And last but not least, the long term, the educational system, and I will focus on that, and our new lab, our new financial education, which I hope will be launched next year in 2019. First of all, I would say a new portal, Wikifin, with a very easy thing to understand. It, it's quite stupid when I'm telling you something, but I can tell you for my staff and for my staff, supervise working in a very technical knowledge, MIFID, MIFI, Basel II, Solvency, Basel III, Solvency II, all other aspects. It was a kind of a challenge for my uh, people to, to find another element of language when they have to explain the same text, the same aspect, not in a technical language, but also, I would say, in a plain Dutch, French, German, or uh, English. First of all, I would say, and also to be able to manage a website which can be very popular. And frankly speaking, I am still impressed by the statistic we are now running. From time to time, I don't believe in my own figures, frankly speaking. After, after uh, four years, we had the pleasure to be visited by less than eight million people. Eight million people. Of course, we are not as popular as Bruegel. Huh? <laughs> Anna Maria of BVVA, of other people. Of course, we cannot compare with the Kardashian of a football club, but I think that as publicly supervised, we can be proud of this, especially with the learning curve, which is like an exponential curve, because last year we had the pleasure to be visited by a bit less than 3 million people. So it means that there is a kind of reflex. People know in Belgium, well, I need some information about pension. I need some information about how to finance my budget as students. I need some information about, I would say, some aspect relating to uh, how to get married and divorce. I think they have a kind of reflex to go, to switch to Wikifin, which is not only something which is feeded by the staff working at the level of SMA, but we have also a lot of partnership with the industry, with other supervisors, the Ministry of Finance, the Minister of Pension, the Ministry of Economy. So there is a kind of consensus to say, if we need to find a communication channel, we can use Wikifin, and because it's also translated, if I may say, in a kind of uh, plain Dutch, French, German, or even from time to time, English language. And so, of course, the, the kind of communication we are using with a lot of video, I can tell you it's also a challenge for supervisor to use video picture. It's not my family because I used to be like this when I was a teenager, but to, to, be, to go to, straight uh, to the point. That's for the first pillar. The second pillar called midterm is to find some uh, interesting event to organize from time to time with other partners. Money week. Frankly speaking, I don't have any problem to confess that uh, in public, 
I was not confident in Belgium, as Belgium citizen, to launch and to organize a monolith. Of course, in Anglo-Saxon countries, of course, in Nordic countries, even in a Protestant country like the Netherlands, which is also an experience managing the Netherlands, uh, which is sponsored by uh, Cody um, Maxima for more than 10 years, it was quite obvious. But in a country like Belgium, and you know what it means, a country like Belgium, an easy country to manage, huh? to speak about money was not something very uh, easy to manage. What's the place of the money in the education, the curriculum vitae? Is it something that you need to speak with teenagers? Many teachers uh, have to be convinced. Therefore, when my staff uh, tried to convince me to organize three years ago a money week, I wouldn't say that I was enthusiastic because I know what it means to have a money week with many people in, in the schools, especially for teenagers. Therefore, we used to uh, play with this kind of fantastic uh, game. Huh? The first one is called Gerte Pepet for the French speaking people. So, how to manage your money, a budget threat in the Dutch language. And the last one, just in budget. Hmm? First year, we had the pleasure to see uh, 30,000 kids aged 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 years playing with that. Of course, we had the pleasure and the honor to be sponsored by uh, the Queen of Belgium, uh, Queen Mathilde, who is every, every, day, every time there, going in the school, every time available in order to, sp to sponsor this kind of money we made. Second year, 50,000 50, kids uh, playing every year with our two games. And this year, 70,000, incredible for me. So it means that we had the pleasure to have 2,000 classrooms of teenagers having asked to receive freely our games. It was also something which was, I think, stressed in a very interesting paper published uh, yesterday in the afternoon. You see that huh? a supervisor will supervise everything. Huh? When you strongly emphasize the fact that uh, financial education, it's always something for the early stage for kids. Of course, of course, it's not so easy. I have to confess you that I had to discuss with some minister in charge for education to explain that the objective was not to explain to kids that they have to love the bankers of the interest or that they have to invest in the stock exchange. Some feelings were wishy-washy, even negative at the beginning. And I have to explain to a minister, hopefully she was also the mother of four children, that in fact this game it was to explain how to manage a school trip one day, which are the different kind of expenses. Do I use a taxi, a coach? Do I take a bicycle? Which kind of food do I need for, I would say, the brunch? Vegan or not, or other aspect. Which kind of visit? Very easy things, which are also neutral from a political point of view how to manage a budget, how to avoid deficit, and how to have a healthy situation, even if you have to manage a budget for one day in your life in a school. So that's maybe the reason why these uh, budget games are so uh, popular. That was for the, I would say, the short-term uh, general public uh, website. Second pillar stakeholders, not only, I would say, 
monetary conferences, publication, advertising, I would say in the street. Do you need information about savings, about your pension? Wikifin can help you. And from, I would say, from a Socratic and neutral point of view, not from a political point of view. And also invest in scientific research. We have the pleasure to sponsor different chairs in different Dutch-speaking and French-speaking uh, university in Belgium. And last but not least, the long term. First of all, the education system with one strategic objective. Make sure all students, when they leave schools, have basic skills, knowledge, and attitude necessary to better understand money matters in order to make sound financial decisions. For me, the, I would say the target, it was in how, to, how to be able to reach the teenager. Because I have the pleasure to, to give lecture at the University of Brussels the Saturdays. So it means people with a, a master degree in economic and or in law. And I'm still also convinced that they need to be educated when they start as teenagers. Because I wouldn't say that uh, it's an objective only to focus at university. I think that we have to reach teenagers. Teenagers are already consumers. They can invest a lot of money, which may be positive or negative, in their in, in the phones, in their mobiles, in their PC, in other uh, activities. Therefore, to, they need to be educated, and it means three main lines. First of all, lobby and to encourage policymakers and school systems to include financial education. I can tell you, it's a day-to-day -day lobbying. I'm also quite surprised that Els Lago is there and not lobbying at the level of the Flemish uh, uh, Minister for Education. It's mean to explain who we are. It's mean also, let us be clear, I don't know the situation in other countries, but the best students who are going to university are not necessarily the people who are able, when they are 18, to understand what it means a stock exchange. They have never had some uh, basic knowledge about stock exchange, about financial product financial. I have an excellent staff member who graduated in the best school of commerce in Belgium, Timothy. I'm sure that when he was 18 years old, he didn't have nothing before deciding to dissolve a school. Is it a good thing? There is also a question of negative feeling. Do the teenager need to, to understand something about accounting? about financial, is it part of a classical and excellent uh, curriculum? Maybe not the case. So we still have to explain that to a lot of teachers, and that's the reason why we not only have to lobby at the level of the minister and the staff, but also, I would say, to train to then uh, to have direct contact with the teacher, and that's what we are doing. For instance, we have an online platform, Wikifina School, which is, I think, <coughs> very popular for a small country like Belgium. It means that we have more than 8,800 members. We have the possibility to give an open access free of charge to 280 course uh, materials developed in three years. And so it means that we have the pleasure to have a little bit less than 40,000 downloads in three years time. So a real success, because it means that we are able to provide for a lot of information to teachers, especially teachers in charge for economics, geography, history, mathematics, French or Dutch language, and about all kinds of uh, fun information, video, but also tools and very practical tools. I am used to saying that the first ambassador for financial education in Belgium, it's not the FSME, it's not Wikifin. These are the teachers speaking with teenagers, and therefore they need to be 
train, they need to receive appropriate tools free of charge. We are kind of provider for services about education, and besides, it means also that it's free of charge. It's also, I would say, part of the history of the development of the Wikifinigation system, short-term, mid-term, and long-term, and long-term. Not only, I would say, something in the curriculum, but also the, to be able to give, I would say, a lot of services support to uh, teach. Maybe some uh, comment about what the so-called political uh, discussion about... Yeah, okay, sorry. How to be able to define, I would say, the Belgium scope of financial education for, of course, the starting point was the OECD approach. We mixed that with our own vision. And last but not least, input of education. In all our work stream, teacher, representative of Federation of Teachers, are strongly involved in the development of a new tool. They check, they reject from time to time. They consider that it's not much what their own expectation. And it means at the same time that after three years of discussion, I can say that the expectation, my expectation were lower than the, the, I would say the output we were able to find. It means that we have in discussion at Flemish level in order to have something, especially for teenagers who are 13, 14 years old, devoted to financial education. But at the same time, we are still in discussion in order to find an appropriate level of uh, content. What does it mean, the weight of financial education within the curriculum? We will be maybe in competition with the Latin language, with history, with geography. The same, I would say, as far as the French-speaking financial education is concerned. And Belgium needs also to, to be able to take into account diversity. I'm not sure that the way we discuss financial education is the same kind of dialogue that we have for Dutch-speaking people and French-speaking people. I think that maybe the monetary concept is more easy to manage in Flanders than in Wallonia and in the French-speaking part of Brussels. Of course, there are many common bridges, but from time to time there are some accents which has to be fine-tuned because the, the, the realities are not necessarily exactly the same. It means also teacher training and how do we assess competence? And last but not least, I would say, of course, we have also research projects, and I've seen representative of the Flemish University of Leuven. We have a strong scientific partnership with the KRL in order to develop research material about, I would say, financial literacy. And last but not least, that's the very long term, and very long term means the day after, it means 2019, we will have the pleasure to launch, not far from me, in one of the buildings, a new financial education center called the LAP. The objective is to give the opportunity for people who are teenagers to test their financial uh, knowledge. It's not about the history of money. It's about, I would say, some different kind of aspect. There are three main lines, I would say. The guidelines, I would say, the leitmotif will be how to be able to manage your budget. And then you will have three different parts with a lot of interaction, support, high-tech, fintech, everything, use of PC and mobile and so on. Because, of course, if you want to speak with the teenager, uh, you, you need to have such uh, an approach. You will have three different parts. The first one is to understand what are the influence whenever you have to take a decision from a financial point of view about advertising. The second aspect what are, I would say, the consequences of a decision about your savings? 
And last but not least, what are the, the impact of the decision about the global society company? And for this, we are checking a lot of uh, tools in order to be attractive for teenagers. And the objective would be to give the opportunity for many people to come from Brussels and to combine the visit, not only with a visit at the level of the lab managed by the FSME, but also to be able to visit other uh, centers, other museums in Brussels, because we are in the center of Brussels. This is our strategy at the present time. Thank you very much. I'd like also to hear from the private markets, because you talked about private-public initiatives. I think that's very, very important. So, Lydia, why don't we go straight to... Uh, to your uh, intervention, and then I would also like to spend some time asking the public for their views. Thank you very much for inviting sure. us to, to give this presentation today. Um, as uh, Maria said, I work at BBVA, uh, and there I manage the uh, community investment programs where financial literacy is one of the programs. And uh, for those of you who don't know BBVA, I assume everyone does, but maybe you don't, uh, it's a financial institution based in Spain. We are present in uh, 30 countries, and we have more than 75 million clients and 130,000 employees. So you have a little bit of an idea of our scope. So I wanted to talk, uh, Maria asked me to, to talk about our practice, and I uh, refuse to talk about specific programs and tell you about the programs and the things we do. But rather, I would like to um, structure my presentation in like three parts. Uh, first, telling you which is our background on financial education. Then, um, how we learn about what we did and which are the lessons that, uh, that we learned. And how we change our strategy a little bit, uh, considering those lessons. So, um, we began uh, financial education programs in, back in 2008. And in these uh, nine years of operation, we have invested 73 million euros in financial education programs to train uh, 11.6 million people. Um, financial literacy is important to us, not only uh, because it allows people to take better financial decisions and more informed decisions, which is something that you have here with my colleagues, but also because it strengthens the financial system, uh, because we will be confronted with uh, better savers, more, more conscious savers, and also uh, better debtors. So as I said, we launched our first financial education program in Mexico, and this was a program uh, aimed at the unbanked population. So our objective there was to provide training to people who was just accessing the financial services market with no knowledge, no skills uh, on how to use uh, financial products and services. So we wanted to give them training and we did it through workshops. And they were workshops like about planning, about the responsible use of the credit card, about credit, about savings. And uh, nowadays we provide more than 30 types of workshops. And uh, we try to accompany people throughout the whole financial life cycle. So we are not only addressing specific needs, but as you mentioned before, we go through every life event that requires a financial uh, use, and uh, we try to give some training there. Um, but very, very soon we realized that financial education was not only for the unbanked population. Uh, at those years, and when I'm talking about 2008 and 2009, uh, the 
economic developed countries were immersed in a very, very uh, serious financial crisis. And uh, we realized that uh, the population in those countries was also lacking knowledge, skills, and competencies to use products and services. And uh, they were unable to conduct themselves in a financial world that is more and more sophisticated, that brings more complex uh, products, and also diversified channels. So. Um, we started uh, providing financial education in schools and we wrongly thought that the financial education we have to provide in these societies was uh, to children and i say wrongly thought not because children don't need financial education and i totally agree with my colleagues and with the oecd that you have to provide financial education as early as possible but the thing is that adults will also lack a lot of knowledge on financial education, and uh, we were not aware of this. So, um, as I said, we, we provide financial education for children since 2009. We started in Spain, then we went to Mexico and the US, and uh, we designed these programs 100% uh, with pedagogues and uh, educational experts. And the programs are provided by teachers, and uh, we have only eventually help from our BBBA volunteers. But we really believe that to get into the schools, you really have to leave the experts to, to do that and not, and not us. And so by 2012, we have uh, financial education programs established in every country where BBBA is present. And uh, we had very important lessons that, that we learned, and I'm going to tell you several of them. The first thing is that this is a lifetime training. So uh, all segments of society need financial education training. Not only children, not only adults, not, not only entrepreneurs, not only micro-entrepreneurs. So uh, we have um, a big, a big uh, task ahead. Another thing I agree with my colleagues is that uh, we learn that uh, one size doesn't fit all. So we realized that we needed to use different channels, different training methodologies, and different um, approaches depending on the segment that we were approaching. So uh, this depends obviously on the age, but also in the culture, the socioeconomic background, the literacy level, the digital literacy level, very important, um, even the internet penetration of the country. Because BBVA is in many countries, some of them are very technological advanced, but some of them, like, they, they don't have internet at all. Another big lesson that we learned is that measurement is key. We had spent three, four years giving financial education in the schools and also uh, to the Unbank, and we didn't have an idea of how these programs were really changing the behavior of people. We didn't know if they were changing our behavior or not, and how. Um, another uh, lesson was that um, the digitalization of our sector uh, is not only a lever, but also a barrier. And um, for us, the digital revolution opens a lot of doors, and it brings a lot of advance toward inclusion. But at the same time, this requests a greater degree of financial capability. It's not the same to manage 
normal products than digital products. So that was another lesson. Also, very strong here, uh, we realized that we were not training people at the adequate moment. I will go with that. I'm talking about teachable moments. And uh, the most important is that uh, this is not a one-man effort. This requires the cooperation of all the actors in the financial education arena. So uh, we designed a, a new strategy, or we evolved the strategy, and uh, we are working now in three pillars. The first of them is um, financial education for society. The second, the integration of financial education in customer solutions. And the third one is advocacy. So um, the first pillar, the financial education for society, responds, obviously, to our compromise to society because we firmly believe that we have to provide financial education to the uh, people of the societies where we are present. Um, and we feel that we specifically have to train uh, the poor and also uh, the groups that are uh, disadvantaged or excluded. And among them are youth, a woman, I'm not talking only about the more excluded sectors of, of uh, society. And these people need financial education because accessing the financial sector helps them to get uh, greater opportunities. Um, in this field, we have evolved to use technology um, as a lever, as I said before, because it helped us to broaden our scope. I, I was mentioning before that we have reached uh, 11.6 million people, but the reality is that most half, more, more than half of these people, we have reached them in the last three years, and that's thanks to, to technology. We do not only provide workshops anymore, we provide um, financial education through other channels, which can be as diverse as a radio show, a TV show, games, apps, video games, uh, role-play games, um, competitions, even posts and tips within the social networks. And we do all these in, in cooperation with non-governmental organizations, with associations, uh, with the government, and even with competitors. And I'm very proud to say that uh, we have a program in Spain where all banks, all private banks present in Spain, we cooperate for a financial education project uh, initiative in schools uh, coordinated by the Spanish Bank Association and Junior Achievement. Uh, this is a, a, one, a very unique effort when every financial institution, all the banks or competitors work together just to bring financial education to schools. I was talking about the second, the second line, uh, financial education integrated in customer solutions. is very important because this responds to the need of being a, a responsible business. Um, the social programs, and I manage those, uh, is only the tip of the iceberg. You cannot be a responsible corporation or a responsible bank if you don't do your core business, which in our case is the financial business, in a responsible way. So. Um, since uh, 2014, we are engaged in a, in a compromise to be transparent, clear, and responsible in the way we do banking. And this means that we design the products in a responsible way. And also we market, sell them, and provide them uh, with, uh, in a clear and transparent way. How we do that, for example, every product in Spain and 90% of the products in our 
in the rest of the, the countries, they come with a one single page where you can learn about the good and the bad things about the product. It's not that the good are up front and the bad are down in the small red caps. So this, this is a big effort, as you can imagine, because then you are fighting with marketing and sales. When you tell them, no, in this market you have to put the TA in like this big, because the customers have to know that this is going to happen. Or when you are selling a credit card, you have to say that if you don't pay everything at the, the, the very day of the month, they are going to have a 20% or whatever of, of interest. Um, another thing Jean-Paul said before, that uh, we provide target financial education to our clients. Uh, and this, there we go with the adequate moment. We provide financial education in what we believe is the most adequate moment to provide it. We call this a teachable moment, and this is the moment where a client is searching, buying, or comparing a product. Um, we also use big data and commercial intelligence uh, to measure and understand whether our clients have the knowledge, the skills, and the behavior, and these three things are equally important, to enjoy a good financial health. And for us, financial health is something that allows a client to overcome uh, a moment of challenge, but also to fulfill their dreams. So we are in the midst now of designing products and services that help our clients to have a good financial health. Um, the third pillar is advocacy. We have talked about it a lot. BBB is very active, collaborating with um, key actors in financial education. Um, as I mentioned before, we believe that this is a no, no one-man exercise. This requires the cooperation of regulators, governments, academia, financial sector. And uh, we cooperate a lot in those countries where a national financial education strategy is in place, which, by the way, is not in every country. So um, it's very difficult sometimes to try to uh, push further a private initiative, uh, several private initiatives like we have, when the rest of the country is not going in the same direction. So I would like to, to finish to underline two uh, initiatives that we have on that respect and share with you a reflection. Um, the first one is that for uh, BBBA, financial education was so important that from 2010, uh, we started cooperating with the OCD. Actually, the financial education PISA report that you learned before um, has been done by the OCD with the support of BBBA. We decided to support economically the OCD to pay for the methodology that had to be created, and this is the creator here on my side, and, and also to uh, help countries to get into the, to the evaluation. And we have supported three exercises, 2012, 2015, and the, the one, the coming one. Also, um, coming from our experience, we created uh, the Center for Financial Education and Capability, which is just a digital platform. Uh, we since we are in the praxis, we knew that there were a lot of practices, a lot of publications, a lot of research, but there was not one single place where everything was included globally. There are many platforms, local platforms, national platforms, but not a global one. So we aspire to be 
a center for information regarding financial education, and we do foster research. We recently launched a call for expressions of interest asking researchers of every part of the world to submit proposals of research for every aspect of financial education. And we will pay researchers to do this. Also, we hold a conference every year, the Edfin Summit. We hold it last year in Mexico. Uh, it was a great success for us. It was the first year we were doing that. And then there were 2,050 uh, attendees from 19 countries. We have people from as far as India, uh, Morocco, obviously the US, Mexico, Latin America, Europe, attending the conference just to share the knowledge on financial education and to bring new things on the table. And no offense, but not only measurement, but the new things that you have here, here, the gender gap, the youth, the digitalization. I mean, things that, that were not uh, yet in the, out in the public. Maybe in the research centers, yes, but not in the public. And uh, so we are going to hold it this year in Buenos Aires, and we'll do it around the B20 meeting in Buenos Aires. We think it's a great uh, framework to hold a financial education conference with all the governments there and the business uh, people there. And this is my reflection I wanted to start to finish, and is that uh, obviously collaboration uh, is between the governments, the practice, the academia, but uh, we also need the collaboration of multinational organizations. And uh, I don't know if someone from the uh, European institutions here, but I think the role of organizations such as the European Commission is crucial here. Because as I said before, if we need to foster national strategies, countries are not gonna do it on their own if they don't see it interesting. So the role of the Commission is very, is very important. We were thrilled to see that in the high-level expert group, uh, the high-level expert group included financial education as a recommendation for developing sustainable finance some weeks ago. But then we saw with disappointment that the European Commission was not including financial education in the final action plan. So, yes, uh, as I said before, I think for the Commission to promote cooperation uh, in, within the countries is crucial to really establish financial financial education strategies at national level. And uh, that's all I wanted to say. Thank you. Thank you very much for information here. Let me summarize what I've learned, and then we can uh, open up for some questions. Start young, um, but then continue to learn throughout the whole life in teachable moments, which I like that, at this particular moments are of greater interest. One size does not fit all, so it has to be tailored according to the needs you're addressing, and you have to be active both in the short term, the medium term, and the long term. And I think that summarizes uh, what, what we've learned with lots and lots of details from all three of you. Um, but before we close, I would like to open up for, for, for discussion. We have uh, 10 minutes for discussions. Anna Maria has to catch uh, um, yeah, a train, train but uh, let's collect three questions then and oh, <laughs> uh, on the back. Yes, oh, hi. Yeah, please. Uh, hi. Uh, commercial support, uh, working with the private sector, uh, collaboration, etc. Uh, a, a lot of our experience, perhaps, is that in some countries this is more challenging. There's always the accusation, sometimes quite justifiably, of self-interest. Uh, can you perhaps give some examples of some very 
successful collaborations with the private sector in terms of financial education. Wonderful, thank you. Here at the front and then there. The gentleman here at the front. One of these examples is sitting right in front of you, Raymond Frank and I am. Um, European Banking Federation, we do a lot on financial education, including European Money Week and the European Money Quiz. We also engage with the European in institutions, at least try to, and some of the feedback that we get is not encouraging. Although there was the non-paper on financial literacy, uh, we do also get comments from the Commission saying, well, it's, it's not a role for the European institutions, the banks should do it themselves. Someone literally said they have enough money. That's not a signal for, for good, prosperous uh, private sector, uh, public-private sector partnerships. On the other hand, I see uh, your recommendations, Maria, also for uh, policy recommendations, which the European Commission should look at. Uh, one of them could be a, a mandatory financial literacy in a curriculum. Some countries have that, many do not. It would be good to hear the view around the panel to see whether financial literacy should be mandatory in the curriculum in the country's education system. I know what Anna and Maria was saying. So, yeah, so let's do quick last questions there and there, and then we have to come back to the panel. <laughs> Thank you. I will ask uh, not uh, um, how Can important... Can you introduce yourself first? Sorry, my name is Alessandro Gala. I'm a student in political sciences. Um, I will ask uh, um, how do you think uh, um, is perceived to be effective to be financially literate? Uh, I started from a point from a perspective of a liquid society where the people try to get uh, outside the classical way, the Keynesian way of, of conceiving the economy. They use, for example, the, Bitcoin, the, the crypto values, which is a system that goes out of the national system, of the classical system. So while I see that there is a financial um, uh, literacy need uh, according to a classical way, I also perceive that might be a need from society to go outside this classical way. In terms of politics, I think about uh, the case of Italy, where the people try to get uh, outside the classical way and try to be more... Uh, um, supporting of uh, new type of parties that get outside the way how we conceive the classical politi politics and also the classical way of uh, the economy. So I think, do you think that we need to get uh, also a new way to get uh, um, to know more the millennials' uh, needs and so on? And the very last question there, we come back to Anna, you go first. My name is Emmanuel Chirola, I work for the European Commission. Okay. Uh, uh, <laughs> in fact, I was in charge of uh, uh, the first behavioral study uh, on consumer decision making on retail investment services, uh, which was used to, to prepare the, the review of the TRIPS um, legislation. So, uh, well, thanks to Bruegel, first of all, for putting together such an excellent panel. Uh, I have um, uh, a few questions, I'll be, I'll be very quick. Uh, the first one is, do you have also the Besides age and gender, do you also have the breakdown by socioeconomic group? Uh, and the reason why I'm asking is that uh, Shafir Mulanathan uh, put forward the thesis according to which the very condition of being poor causes bad uh, decisions, uh, also to in, in finance. Uh, the second one is, how do you reconcile your argument, which I understand, with the, uh, with the uh, idea and the fact, actually, the, obs the observation that the most financially literate persons got it badly wrong during the financial crisis? Um, so, and, you know, if education is a panacea and Americans are so financially literate, you wouldn't have needed the uh, 2009 CARD Act on... Uh, uh, you know, tra transparent and uh, and fair practices. You know, I, I would have liked 
a few more words on the, the structural supply side features that make it difficult for people to, um, uh, to, to take good decisions. No, claims on youngsters' time. Uh, you know, I go to a workshop on environment. You know, we should teach them about ecology very early, very early stage. Sex, the same. Good nutrition. You know, if all these claims were to be adopted, you know, my daughters in school wouldn't learn uh, geography, Italian, okay, history. That's fine. They would we learn, you know, I understand. Yeah, sure, and, and so sure. Thank you very much. Um, I. The yeah. last question in particular, I think it's yeah. last I'm question. To, right, exactly. I'm going to start with the last one, which sure. is, I think, actually, uh, you know, the point is to live in today's society, we need to have that basic knowledge, right? So we need, you know, we are now taking care of ourselves or our health. We are taking care of the environment. And we, take, we need to take care of our finances. And this is why we need that basic skill. I actually think it's essential to be happy. You know, it's about happiness, it's about well-being, it's not about behavior. And so, you know, I'm not claiming that people have to become, you know, experts or so on. It's just a basic skill that we need in today's society as we are doing all of these things. And that's how society evolves. And, you know, we need to make room for this in the schools. It's going to be hard, but I think if we don't do, you know, we are probably going to pay a high price. So, you know, for the U.S., I mean, they were not financially literate. I mean, that's actually the surprising thing. So we assume they were. Right? We assume that a country with a well-developed financial market knows about these things. In fact, they don't. And in fact, the level of financial illiteracy is very, very high. Even a country with very well-developed financial market don't assume that people know because they live in a country with a well-developed financial market. The costs are staggering. The cost of ignorance is very, very high. Ignorance is not bliss, and I think ignorance is not an option. Um, you know, and, and I agree with you, there are lots of other things we need to do. We need to, to think about supply. You know, I don't think that, you know, financial education is a panacea or is like the only way we are better off. You know, you give financial education, we have solved the problem of the world. Absolutely not. But I think we have done a lot in kind of fixing the structure, you know, thinking of macro policy. We forgot about the individuals. The individuals have lots of constraints, have lots of biases, but they make decisions. And I think we need to equip people to make decisions. So our claim is not a grandiose claim, but it's a claim that in today's society, you need to have that basic skills. And if you don't, you're going to suffer and society will going to suffer. Even the poor, you know, certainly capacity constraint, you know, if you have, if your major worries is about how to end the day, right, you are going to have a lot of capacity constraint. But according to our research, financial literacy is even more important for those individuals. So I think, you know, it is, it is important and it's not just for the poor, it's also uh, for everybody and in particular for some vulnerable groups. Do we need to, you know, teach uh, um, outside of the rules? I mean, first of all, I actually think that financial literacy is at the basis of democracy. And if we, um, you know, ask people to vote on something they do not understand, it's not obvious to me what we are asking them to vote, right? People in Italy don't understand what the public debt is, what the deficit is, they don't understand how the economy works, and they don't understand budget constraints. And if you do, if you don't do that, then you can tell any stories and you can cheat people. So, you know, it's, it's a very challenging um, view. And, but at the same time, we need to speak the language of people. And I think the way I read the protest is that, you know, we haven't listened to what people wanted. 
and people probably wanted changes and so on. And so, you know, I don't want with financial literacy, again, save the world, uh, but I think I want to give people some really basic skills. In terms of good um, partnership, I actually think the financial sector has an important role to play, but I think, you know, bankers are not teachers. Um, so we need to find a way in which they support really great initiative via institutions which are actually able to do so. In particular, in a moment in which the trust in banking system is so low, people don't want to be taught by bank or by credit card companies and so on because they don't, there is a conflict of interest. Um, but, you know, if there is a committee that, for example, coordinate activity, if the funds go to institutions like the OECD, if they go to other sectors that can really direct those finances and, you know, they can be acknowledged, I think there is great opportunity to do so. My best example, and I think the best investment, in my view, that was done was on the PISA financial literacy assessment. Because we finally know how to measure financial literacy among the young, and we discover that the young know nothing. And we need to address that. Thank you, Anna. And on this point, I think I'm going to go. This is my train is unfortunately <laughs> leaving me back to Paris. One quick intervention for Olivia. Yeah. Yeah, but do you go if you want? No, I, I know. I, I think we are very aligned, so I totally agree with that. I uh, well, we, we were responsible for that PISA um, methodology, um, and we did it uh, the way she does. We put the money, we trust the OECD and the researchers were doing the methodology. We never intervene. We don't get the results in advance. We just cleanly leave the money because we believed in financial education. And then um, I also agree with the, you were asking if you go to a different market, cryptocurrency, things like that. I think I agree with, with Anna. This is on the base of the knowledge. And that's why I love the, the new terminology we are using, the financial health one, because at the end of the day, it's not about financial institutions. It's about how you uh, behave with your money, how, how you are able to uh, overcome the challenges and how you are able to pursue your dreams. And financial education, I mean, institutions don't have anything to do with that. It's about the person and the relationship of this person with money. So um, I think it's, it's something, and if you go to the new uh, educational uh, approaches for regular education, competencies of the 21st century, they are not talking about geography, not maths. They are talking about how to build up individuals that are able to uh, behave in, what, in the future that is coming, which is uncertain future. Uh, I was in the two days ago in the finance. Well, it's our conference, but the sustainable finance conference. And you know, I keep I keep remembering the words of Ban Ki Moon, the, the previous general secretary general of the of the United Nations, that we are the last generation to stop the climate change, uh, and we are the first generation to to end poverty. So, this is what we have to do. And uh, I'm sure that uh, obviously probably there are some teachers here, but. It's true that the technical aspects of education are important, but it's more important how a person behaves and how, how again, follows the dreams and, and how comes the, the challenges. I'm afraid I really have to finish here, but thank you all for coming, for taking the money. I'm sure you have to, you have to catch a train, so we have to finish here. Please join me in thanking all the students for coming.